It's a great story to remember and teach and talk about in Sunday school, but how does it apply to you and I today? We'll take a look at the feeding of the 5,000 and the answer to that next on Abounding Grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace and Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're in Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 6 as we take a look at the feeding of the 5,000. Not just a wonderful Sunday school story, but there's a lot of significant application for you and I in this passage. We, of all things, get a sneak peek, a wonderful glimpse at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His tender love, mercy, and care to 5,000-plus people. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Our founding fathers did everything they could to keep us from establishing a democracy because they wanted a republic. A republic is a nation where law reigns regardless of the whims and the fancies of the majority. And if it is a true republic, its law is based strictly on the law of God. And in a republic, you're safe and your property is safe because no matter what the desires of the people are, the law reigns supreme. Now, what was it the people in our text wanted? Why did I say they worshipped at the altar of democracy? They were declaring by trying to force Jesus to be king that they had a right to choose who would rule over them. All in favor of God being our God, raise your hand. They wanted to elect God to be God. They wanted to elect Christ to be their king. However, as most Americans today, they wanted to keep the final power to govern in their own hands. After all, we certainly believe in the consensus of the governed, right? But Christ is already king. And he reigns according to his will alone. They wanted to keep the final power over things in their own hands. And so this crowd was totally unwilling to surrender their preconceived, pretended power to the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to hold on to it and cherish it no matter what. They wanted a king who would not only be their sovereign choice, but who would be also answerable to them and under their control. They wanted their will, their desires, and their wishes to be the source of law in this king's government enforced by his power. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a democracy at its most consistent. You say, boy, I'm glad I believe in a republic and not a democracy. Well, let's look at that for just a moment. Do you trust God up to a point? But not if you have to call into question your own competence, your own ingenuity, your own ability to cope? Not if you have to surrender the power to govern your own life? Do you normally trust in yourself and follow your own ideas and then call on God in really important, difficult times? Have you ever tried to dictate to God in prayer what you wish and what you want Him to do and then become bitter when He doesn't do what you want Him to do? Would you rather have a God who you can control and manipulate even just a little bit rather than an all-sovereign God who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in your life and does whatever He pleases with you 
with or without your approval? Would you rather have a, a little idol or a good luck charm you could carry around in your pocket and rub it for good luck than a God who is majestic and holiness, who lives in the most splendorous glory and who is transcendent over all? Well, I say to you today, people who call themselves Christians want a Jesus who is literally a pet, whose cuteness they can show off to their friends and whose fur they can stroke when they need comfort or a sense of security. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't a pet, and he's no one's security blanket, and he is no one's good luck charm. Christ seeks no one's help. He seeks no one's approval, and he seeks no one's permission to do whatever God sent him to do on earth in your life. So just trust in him. You can't change things. You can't control him. Just trust in Him to do in you and to you and with you whatever He wants. He will anyway. So trust Him and surrender to Him because whatever He has planned for your life, beloved, Romans tells us He is doing it in your best interest and for His glory. So then we see here the crowds affirming their faith in the sovereignty of man by trying to defy the sovereignty of God in Christ. Oh, they had a public profession of faith that was actually correct. They professed their faith in Christ. This is a miracle-working prophet sent by God, they said. But the faith of their hearts was something far different than the profession of their mouths, because by their hearts they denied what they professed. We must always make that distinction between what we profess and the faith that we live, live by because they don't always go together. What you profess to believe may not be the faith that you live by. Now, that's normal for Arminians, beloved, but that's pretty bad for us Calvinists. The doctrine that the people in our text preferred is not what they lived by. They believed that Jesus was from God, but in their hearts they wanted to redefine him into what they wanted him to be. Is that you? That's intellectual schizophrenia. They refused to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he is absolutely predestinator of everything, who holds all powers and shares none, to whom all human beings are accountable and who cannot be controlled by anyone. They chose rather to believe that the decisive factor in their lives and destiny was their own choice, their own will, their own decisions, the free expression of their own individual human rights, which they literally threw into the face of Jesus. They would have loved the Frank Sinatra song, I believe in Jesus, but I did it my way. My choice, my decisions determine my destiny. One time I heard a pastor give an altar call, and here is what he said, and I was actually sitting toward the back holding on and waiting for the lightning to strike. He said, give Jesus Christ the right to be the Lord of your life. How absolutely absurd. And this was a huge church. How blasphemous, how stupid. Friends, you don't give Jesus the right to do anything with you. 
He just does whatever He wants to with, for, and through you. And He neither asks your approval nor your permission. Now, to modern man, unbelieving man, that sounds so dictatorial, doesn't it? So absolute, so dogmatic, so totalitarian, so restrictive on my wants and my desires and my freedoms. But actually, we have no freedom and no life outside the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, surrendering ourselves to that sovereignty, because outside of Christ, we are slaves to our sin. Furthermore, fallen man had better never waive his presumed rights in the face of Jesus and say to him with reference to anything, I have my rights. Because he will look you right in the eye and say, my friend, the only right you have is to receive what you deserve. And the wages of sin is death. So when Jesus did not turn out to be the kind of king and savior they wanted, one whom they could control, one who would not place their desires and wishes above his own, they cried out just a little later in his life, the same crowds crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Therefore, in A.D. 70, Jesus burned their entire nation into extinction with the Roman armies. And you and I have the same choice today that the crowds had then. Christ or Caesar? To whom will we turn to for provisions for all of our needs? For protection from all the consequences of evil? For direction for the future? Christ or Caesar? Christ or the federal government of the United States? Beloved freedom is when you say, I'm going to trust in Jesus no matter what, because I will be no man's slave. You give me the choice between Christ and Caesar, and I will always choose Christ, whatever it takes, because it is He alone that I can trust. I can't see where I'm going, but I trust Him. So what are you going to choose, even when the going is hard, Christ or Caesar? The Christ didn't like, the crowds didn't like what Jesus turned out to be. So they turned to Caesar. When time gets hard, will you cry out to Big Brother, the civil authorities, to help you? Or Jesus Christ, who is the all-powerful Lord over all things, who truly cares for you? Well, the third thing this feeding of the 5,000 tells us from John is that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. In contradiction to the crowd's wishes to force Jesus to be their king, Jesus offers himself to them as the bread of life. He said, instead of being the king that you want through union with me and faith in me and my perfect humanity and my atoning death, I will give you true and abundant life that will never end I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the word, world is my flesh. But the crowds resented Jesus' claim. They resented his offer. It is not what they wanted to hear from them. And Jesus was fully aware of their resentment. 
So he presses his message deeper into their minds and their consciences. Turn to the sixth chapter of John with me, please. Notice in verse 26 and following. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said, therefore, to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said, therefore, to him, What then do you do for a sign? Now remember, he just fed the 5,000 here. What do you do for a sign that we see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said, therefore, to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Now, it sounds here like they're on their way to conversion, right? Listen to the end of the story. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, you have seen me, and you do not believe. You see, the crowds wanted a Savior who would keep giving them manna from heaven, who would provide them with a welfare state, who would give them cradle to grave political security and economic prosperity without repentance of their sins. They want a king who would constantly care for and feed them, even though he might make them his slaves. They wanted no individual responsibility for their actions, and they preferred slavery to responsibility. This continues to be the situation today. The crowds haven't changed. America is full of liberals and conservatives, both who are looking for a strong and honest political savior who will protect them, not only from the terrorist, but who will provide for all of their needs, welfare, medicine, Medicaid, various health services, education, legal assistance, loans to purchase homes and bail out businesses and industries, minimum wage, social security, unemployment, paid prescriptions, national parks, guarantee of clean air and water, guarantee against job loss, and, of course, Obamacare, etc., etc., etc. And all of this with a balanced budget and low taxes. And that makes them neither honest nor strong. All that the Roman Empire offered was bread and circuses, and they ran out of funds. These crowds, just as Americans today, want slavery, which they somehow call freedom. They want welfare like beggars, but they call it human rights. And Jesus is telling them in so many words, I am not going to be that kind of king. He is telling them my primary, concern, my primary concern is not politics and economics, as important as they are in their place. My primary concern is your primary need. And you are lost and dying and go to hell. 
And I am the bread of life that can give you eternal life and you will never perish. That's where we've got to start. And if you do not start there, nothing else means anything, my friends. You see, his offer was to feed them on himself by faith and to find in him true nourishment and prosperity in life that never ends. The multitude was ready to accept and use Jesus when they saw the miraculous feeding. But they rejected him when they realized what he really was offering them. Union with himself, salvation and eternal life by surrendering their lives to him. They preferred immediate relief. Jesus understood what the crowds wanted. And he rebuked them. He wasn't impressed with their initial enthusiastic response. He said, you seek me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. You want to serve me and have me be your king simply to get out of me what you can. You have no real regard for me. And he said, moreover, you want the food that comes from heaven, which by the way, is a rabbinical phrase in Jewish, leader, in Jewish literature that means moral law. You want things to be satisfied and worked out by your legalism, an attempt to build a life according to your own merit. Moses can't help you here. The only food that's going to help you and give you life is the imperishable food that I offer, and they turned it down because they wanted an earthly king they controlled they could control, and who would provide for their every need. Beloved, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in Jesus? It is, be is it because you love him above all other loves? It is only because of the gifts he gives, the salvation, the solution to life's problems, the guidance on how to have a happy home, a free nation, a successful business, salvation from bad habits and from depression. Like the crowds, do you wonder what you can get out of him? Do you love him for what he, you can get out of him, or do you love him for himself? Of course, if you do love him, you will love all the gifts he gives, but you will love the giver more than the gifts. If the only reason that you believe in Jesus Christ is to keep them going from hell when you die and to solve all your life's problems, you will go to hell when you die. Does Jesus believe your profession of faith? He didn't believe the profession of these crowds. Does he believe your profession because it is supported by a life of obedience and service to him? If all you have is just a profession of faith, however knowledgeable and eloquent it may be, but it is not supported by a life of obedience to Him, that profession of faith is not worth two cents. Let me conclude with these words. Believer, hear Jesus say to you what He said to the apostles so long ago. You give them something to eat. When the apostles heard this, not knowing where to find food for so many people, Jesus caused them to feed and satisfy thousands of people 
with food that just kept coming from His hands. And it is the same for us as we go about the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The nourishment of the gospel gives is inexhaustible, sufficient, satisfying to all who are brought to faith in it. His bread never runs out. Life in Him never ends. And this is the bread, this bread is for all to eat. Men and women and young people and nations are at this very minute starving to death because they have never eaten the bread of life. You must see yourselves as Jesus' instruments for feeding the bread of life to the lost and the dying. Be faithful and persevering in that work. And as you admit to your insufficiency of the task, and as you keep trusting Jesus Christ to do what you certainly cannot do on your own, watch that bread of life keep coming from his hands through you into your friends and family day after day and moment by moment. But first of all, you must know and believe this gospel of the bread of life yourself. If you're going to distribute it in his name, it is only by faith in Christ that you will be able to persevere as long as it takes. Keep going out to people who like without a shepherd, don't even want to hear the message that you have until by God's grace and the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, they drop to their knees in surrender, just like you. Our calling as Christians to this fallen world is simple. In the words of our story today, to receive bread from Jesus' hands and to distribute it to other people by our voices, through tracts, letters, CDs, Facebook, Twitter, opening your homes, bringing people to church, and praying that God will bless all your efforts and draw countless numbers of people to Christ. Let me leave you with these wonderful words from J.C. Ryle. There can be no doubt that the miracle was meant to teach the adequacy of Christ's gospel to supply the necessities of the world weak and feeble and foolish as it may seem to men. The simple story of the cross is enough for all the children of Adam in every part of the globe. The tiding of Christ's death for sinners and the atonement made by that death is able to meet the hearts and satisfy the consciences of all nations and peoples and tribes and tongues. Carried by faithful messengers, it feeds and supplies all ranks and classes of people. Let us never doubt for a moment that the preaching of Christ crucified that old story of his blood and righteousness and substitution is enough for all the necessities of mankind. It's not worn out. It never grows obsolete. It has not lost its power. We want nothing new, nothing more, nothing more broad and more kind, more intellectual, nothing more effective. We want nothing but the true bread of life which Christ bestows faithfully among starving souls. Let them sneer and ridicule as they will. Nothing else can do good in this evil world. No other teachings can fill hungry consciences and give them peace. We are all in the wilderness. 
We must feed on Christ crucified and the atonement made by his death, or we shall perish in our sins. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is four. 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.